Welcome to the Boomer Woman's Podcast. I'm your host, Agnes Knowles. Boomer. Some people don't like the term, but I think, like many other words, it's all in how you say it. My umbrella business is Boom with a Bang, and I think we should keep that in mind as much as possible. We Boomer women don't have a lot of role models as we traverse this chapter. So the goal of this podcast is to introduce you to guests who might incentivize, encourage, teach you to embrace your wisdom, our wisdom. With this incarnation of the Boomer Woman's Podcast, I'm interviewing people who have a message of interest for our demographic. If you want to hear about or learn about something specific, let me know and I'll find someone who understands us to talk about it. There's a contact page at boomwithabang.com. If you want to be a guest on podcast or know someone who would be a great guest, message me. Finally, this show is all about conversation. We women know its value, we know how to do it, and we must perpetuate the art form. So let's get started with today's show. Welcome to the Boomer Woman's Podcast. I'm your host, Agnes Knowles. I heard an alleged seniors advocate on the radio recently. He said, we're aging faster than ever before. And I found that a little confusing as personally, I'm aging one day at a time like I always have. Same as my mother did and same as her mother before her. In many regards, aging is a verb. As boomers, we range from frail and in need of daily assistance to still climbing mountains or running businesses. We've already or are currently experiencing the aging process of our parents, the good decisions, the poor choices, or the total ignoring of the obvious. My guest today is an aging advisor. She contacted me with a specific topic, and its clear frame caught my attention and aroused my curiosity. All of us are getting older, so let me introduce her now. Alison O'Shea, welcome to the Boomer Woman's Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Yeah, this is going to be very interesting. (laughs) Allison, not everyone is cut out to support and help elders as they navigate their final chapters. What brought you to this calling? I started out my career in working with seniors in um, activities in a memory care community where I truly just fell in love with the whole, you know, working with seniors, learning from seniors, and then realized there was a whole industry. And so I quickly grew into becoming an executive director in senior living. So I ended my 18 year career a year and a half ago um, as the executive director of a very large senior living. We had independent living, assisted living, memory care. Um, So I was able to really witness through my career a lot of different types of aging, a lot of family dynamics, and you know, a lot of crisis, which is ultimately what we wanna avoid. And that's where Openly Aging, I started Openly Aging in January of 22, and it was it is designed to, as an aging advisor, help families discuss, talk, put plans in place, and really strategize for the future so we can hopefully avoid as much crisis as we can while we age. Now, before I hit record, we, you and I were talking about the fact that I had a same career, um, and boy, you, you mentioned families. They sure range, don't they, from absolutely fabulous to like, oh, my God, can I ban this person from coming in? Yes, there's a lot of emotion and emotion brings out so much. And there's also a lot of past family dynamics that as soon as an aging loved one needs help or support, 
whoa, do those family dynamics, they can just really be heightened to a point where people are acting a little <laughs> unusual. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay. The topic that you mentioned that piqued my interest was, is five questions to ask yourself to have the most control over your aging. Now, before we go there, is there an age or a state of health that dictates when we should be asking ourselves these five questions? I truly believe when we're really starting to dive into retirement and just the, when the thoughts start coming, where where do I want to retire? When do I want to retire? When you're really starting to maybe go to your financial planner, if you have one, to start having those those you know conversations, that's really when these five questions need they need to be part of that planning process in your head because. Truly, the way I look at it is we're looking at 10 years, 15 years before anything needs to be put into place. We've already really identified how we feel about aging and what we want our aging to look like. And so I would say when retirement thinking starts coming into your brain, that's when these five questions are very relevant. Interesting you mentioned that because when we get to question two, I actually make that sort of comment. Okay, so your question number one, who is my support system? Now, for many of us, the obvious answer might be family, but can you expand on support systems? Absolutely. So are we when we're looking at support system, it can't just be who we're going to make a phone call to. We need to look at, are we around anyone locally? Is our adult daughter nearby? If that's who in our life we identify as the person who would be most likely to be our support system? What if she lives countries away, states away? Um, do we plan on moving to where they are in our retirement at some point or are we not? So really identifying who do we have around? Who do we want to have around? And if we can't really identify anybody, there's a lot of services out there. They're called geriatric care managers and they are kind of a pseudo child or a pseudo support system that can be there if you don't have somebody locally. But you have to know that that's maybe in your future to be able to vet and have an idea of what type of care manager would work best for your situation. So it's just really identifying those key people that you can trust and that you are willing to be open and honest about or open and honest with about your aging goals. Yeah. I know locally here, um, we have a group called Seniors Helping Seniors. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you might sort of go, oh, do you really want another senior helping senior? But there, there can always be an age difference. But all I'm thinking is as, as a volunteer association, they might be able to put, point you in the right direction for the things you do need. So, you know, reaching out if you don't have family or even if you have family or who are struggling to say like, well, sometimes gee, we don't family do. isn't available or they, or, you know, you look around at the family and say, Oh, I don't really trust, or I don't really want, you know, and that's okay. So these questions that we're asking, there's no right answer. It's just really identifying and being honest and self-aware about what your situation is. Right, right. Okay, question two. <laughs> what is my financial situation? Now, I've written about figuring this one out before you retire. Um, I know people who didn't, and they sure didn't need that shock at that time of life. Talk to and us about finances. And once again, no right answer. You know, if you have unlimited funds or you've been good at planning and you are 
prepared financially. Um, there are wait lists on certain things. You know, if you want to go into a continuing care retirement community, which um, is one of those communities that have a large buy-in, you know, and they offer all the levels of care, there could be 10 to 15 year wait lists for those. So if that's an option on the opposite side, if money is of a concern, there are so many, like you just mentioned, so many organizations that are income-based, um, free, but there's also wait lists. So it's important to know what your finances are, because when you're putting that long-term plan together or goals, you need to know, you know, do you need to renovate your house to make it more accessible for when you're aging, if that's where you want to stay. So there's just a lot of things that finances are really important to, to know. And your support system needs to know, you know, what do those finances look like? That's also really important as they come into the picture to maybe start helping make decisions. Yeah. And that can be for, especially like my older generation. So my parents' generation or a bit older than me, um, boy, you did not talk money. Oh, so I have worked with so many families that came to senior living in a crisis. All of a sudden mom needed more help. So now we're having to search out senior living. And that was the first time that they are finding out what any of the finances look like. And mom's 90 and, you know, adult daughter 65, 70. So yes, that, and it, and it can be very traumatic when you find out it's not as good as you've always thought it was, you know? So yes, very important. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Your third question is, do I know what options are out there? What options, resources do you recommend people look for as they age or as they're helping elders? So it's really important to have a general understanding of what options are out there. A lot of people don't even think about it until they need it. And then they're kind of pigeonholed to maybe one option. You know, mom fell, is in rehab. They're telling family that she can't go home alone. Well, you're kind of stuck only looking at that option when if you had a basic knowledge of many options, when something like that happens, you know, you have, what is the difference between assisted living? What is the difference between skilled care? What is, you know, um, home health versus home care? Those are two very different things. So I always tell people, especially when they're newly retired or starting to really dive into this, many large senior centers or large senior communities in your area host a lot of educational seminars. Getting on their list to be invited, there may be a topic that, oh, wow, I really want to go. You get some free drinks, you get some free food, and you get to sit and just educate yourself on what one more option may be out there. So just really having your eyes and ears open to senior resources should just start becoming part of, you know, what you do and, you know, what you're looking at. Yeah. And as, you know, we discussed before we started, you know, you're in the U.S., I'm in Canada, even just listening to you talk, there's different terminology. So perhaps mm -hmm. even within your state or province or town, even, you know, senior resources right there and then, and it might bring up subjects or the phraseology that you, you need to know. Absolutely. And like I said, communities, you know, there's senior communities in all, you know, places, a lot of them, that is their way of kind of connecting to the local community is by doing, you know, events and stuff. So, yeah. 
housing's got to be a really big one. And, and so many people are so attached to their home because of the memories they raise the children there, whatever. But can you talk about, you know, whether it's downsizing, resizing? I know some people that have like a, a 6,000 square foot house and they oh. live in about two of it, 2,000 square feet. This is probably one of the biggest things I see. And, you know, one of when my first question is, what is your goal is to stay in my home? You know, even if, like you said, it's a 6,000 square foot home that costs more money to maintain, you know, because then their other word is, well, I don't want to spend money, you know, in a senior community or whatever. And well, and you're only using a little bit of it. When somebody has been in a home for a long time, 50 years, you know, that is very emotional. That is very hard. But there has to come a time where we have to be logical. We have to be practical. And if we're stuck on this emotional reason to stay in a home, you know, there are a lot of resources out there to help with that. There's, you know, therapy, (laughs) that kind of stuff, having the family really come together and say, mom, you know, here is what you staying home means to me um, and how much I have to make sure that the home is maintained because you're not able to do it anymore. So I help families have those honest conversations to help move past some of that that's holding that person back. And moving into a community is not necessarily the only option. You know, that's the other thing. People think, oh, I'm leaving my house and they're going to put me in a home. Well, no. (laughs) Downsizing is so important because you need to be in a space that's safe, that you can maintain. It will actually create more independence in the person if they are in an appropriate living situation. Access to seeing people, you know, staying home can also become very socially isolating, Um, especially if you're not driving anymore, if, you know, your friends are all kind of maybe moving closer to family or they're downsizing themselves. So looking at that social piece of it as well is really important when we're looking at staying home versus finding a situation where maybe all of our needs could be met. It is one of the most challenging (laughs) topics and it's hard for a lot of people. It's hard. Yeah, yeah. I know people who are going from that 6,000 square feet, and they are realizing that to go into an assisted living place, they're going from 6,000 to 600 square feet, literally. And so fortunately, in this particular case, you know, they're, they're, they have enough income to put all the supports in place where they are. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that like, that'll be their solution. But even then I said like, well, don't move straight over to 6,000, like find a a patio home or something. (laughs) Yeah. And that's what I help with is it doesn't have to be those two extremes. You know, if we do this where we're thinking about it, we're planning, we're strategizing, it can be where the next step is maybe a 2,300 square foot home, but maybe in a 55 plus community, you know, where you have kind of all the things around. So it's really looking at a lot of different aspects to plan, but it doesn't have, we, we live in this world where it has to be home to, you know, (laughs) the bad home, (laughs) quote unquote, you know, and that's so just not true. Yeah. Yeah. Now, a lot of these subjects are really intertwined. Insurance, Mm -hmm. you know, when you're accessing or needing to access services that you've never needed before, there's a really good chance that you might know what your health benefits cover. Can you go there? Like, do you have 
Any experiences? Yeah. So, well, so that's a big, a big topic in general, because when I was working in senior living, I would say probably twice a week, we would get a phone call from a family that's looking, does insurance cover this? So there's, which it doesn't, but so knowing what insurance covers versus what it doesn't cover is part of that, knowing your options and education, because it's huge home health, which is therapy, any kind of nursing services that you need in your home is covered by insurance. Home care, which is the people that can come in and help you, the certified nursing assistants, is all private pay. So identifying and knowing what is covered by general insurance and what is not is important. And then, yes, as we age and we have to, um, our insurances change based on retirement, all that kind of stuff, really knowing what, when you're picking plans, what is covered, what's not covered is very important. So I always recommend to people to go to an insurance specialist who can walk you through and what they'll look at is your medications. Um, now, and I don't know if this is relevant, this might be a state thing, but they'll look at your whole situation and help you pick plans that cover most of what you need for your individual situation. Um, and that's really important to stay ahead of that. Well, I know even putting a Canadian lens on it, income tax, you know, like depending on how frail the elder is, there's a disability tax credit that is apparently one of the most unused tax credits available oh, in this country. Oh, wow. Yeah. You know, which part of that just means this person saying, I'm okay going to the doctor and having the doctor say that I cannot manage alone. You know, it's as simple as that. They don't True. want to give up their dignity. Um, and then the other thing here, because we have socialized medicine to a large point, is if you change provinces, if you move to another province to be closer to a family member, your socialized health care may not kick in for three months. Like you might need to be three months resident before you, you get their services. Okay. So things like that, just really big things to think about. Mm -hmm. It goes back to the whole point of being ahead of it, thinking yeah. about it, you know, and really looking at every aspect um, when making decisions. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We're going to move on to communication. It's, pretty obvious, but it's too often overlooked. Am I communicating to my support system? It's yours. So, you know, <laughs> my company is called Openly Aging and I have my logo is an elephant and it's because it's the elephant in the room aging. Oh, we don't okay. talk about it, you know, especially this generation, you know, that is currently in their older years. They definitely didn't talk about it. I think it'll get better as generations come because we're more, you know, forthcoming and talking about stuff, but we, we just kind of pretend we're not going to age, you know, and we don't really talk about our goals. We don't talk about what we're scared of. And we, for sure, most of the time don't actually say to the person that you've identified as your support system, Hey, will you be my support system? We kind of all of a sudden start aging and then an adult child or all of a sudden comes in and starts helping us. And then naturally they become our support system. But wouldn't it be a novel idea if we started thinking about what our goals are, desires, our wishes, maybe had a general plan. And then we're able to communicate to that support system, hey, you're the closest, you're the one I trust the most, 
you know, he, would you mind being my support system? But look, I have all this in place. I have already done my research. I have all my documents in order. Um, here's what my finances look like. And what a gift to that support system to, and they're not going to feel less stressed. They're going to feel in control. They're going to feel like they know what you want and that they are able to execute what you want when the time comes. So really communicating everything that you want your aging journey to look like is really important. And it really truly is a gift that you could give to your adult child or whoever you've identified as that support system. Um, but they have to agree. <laughs> well, you know, that brings me to ability to agree. Yeah. Yeah. It brings me to my next comment is, mm-hmm. you know, you've worked in elder care, you know, as well as I do, that sometimes it's the family that's in denial or the family that disagrees with your choices. What do you say to the family? If, if the choices oh. are actually pretty reasonable and the elder has done the research? Then truly the family that that's why it's important to do this ahead of time, because my whole topic, you know, when I started doing these talks, the idea of ageism came into play for me because what what creates ageism is when we put no plans in place, we become um, not able to manage ourselves and people have to come in and save us, you know, and that makes us weak and dependable and vulnerable. So that's really what ageism is. So or the how, why people are ageist, I guess. So what if we had all these plans and we then handed them to somebody? They don't really, if I'm saying I want to go to a community and I've done all the research, I've put the money down, I'm my own power of attorney, the family can push me as much as I want, but you know, that's where you've done the planning, you know, you've done it. And that's always tricky and complicated, But that is when, if that support group isn't going to work anymore, you identify another, you know, you can identify a power of attorney or somebody who's not the family that's disagreeing with you. And then that family really doesn't have control over what your decisions are, the decisions you've already made. Um, And that's part of that planning process is if you're getting pushed back, okay, you can push back all you want, but I'm still, you know going to make my own decisions, but it's getting documents in order to be able to have, you know, legally be able to have somebody else maybe help with decisions. But there's also opportunities for bringing the family together and almost doing, you know, a counseling session. I do that a lot with families. We'll kind of have a Zoom, a group Zoom, and we'll talk about the concerns the aging person has, the concerns the daughter has, the concerns the son has. We listen to each other. We talk about it. And we really then move forward together with the plan that we we feel is best for the whole family. Because there are times that say an aging person has done all the plans, they're great, but they're still, you know, maybe the issue is the adult daughter is three states away and mom says, oh, I never want to move there. So I've done all this planning to do it. Well, if the planning starts falling through the cracks and the adult daughter is having to take in, you know, some caregiving, well, that does need to be a conversation, you know, where the aging person does need to say, okay, I see what you're saying. (laughs) (laughs) I see, you know, that this is getting challenging for you for whatever reason. So it just open communication is key. 
but those situations are always a one-off, but there are ways to manage it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to suggest too, just because this is out of my playbook is now that I'm getting closer to 70. um, I mean, I came home yesterday and the new dryer was in the front hall. So I pulled out the old dryer, installed the new dryer, put the old doll or the old dryer on a dolly and got it over to the garage. I'm pretty strong and capable, (laughs) but I still often enough, not enough to be annoying, will phone up one of my adult children and say, oh, I need a hand with this. Could you come over at your convenience and do this? So I'm just grooming them for the fact that, you know, they, they, they will need to help a bit more as I get older. <laughs> right, so. right. <laughs> and I always tell people too, you know, you're always going to be the mom and they're always going to be the children. So even if physically they are doing more for you, like physical roles have changed, emotional roles never change. You know, that's a hard Um, But a lot of families struggle in that transitional period with, okay, well, I'm mom's caregiver. So now I'm mom's boss. Well, that's not how it works. (laughs) You are mom's caregiver, but she is still her own person, you know, that needs to be included in the decisions that are made and needs to feel comfortable with them as long as everyone's being reasonable and logical, you know? Um, and so it, that transition can sometimes be tricky. So you're smart to ease it in. (laughs) (laughs) Now, you know, uh, communication's a two-way street, um, listening to my support system. Now, when I read that question, other thoughts came to mind and and unfortunately they're, they are personality based. So you, you have Mm -hmm. to take into consideration, there could be bullying from one side or the other. There's ignoring so just totally ignoring the situation. And then, uh, you know, the martyrs in our world are are not that few and far between. Right. Do you have any thoughts around, you know, bullying, so ignoring? When I, when I, this question to me is also listening when your support system says, you know, the boundaries. Mom, I am fine supporting you at home. I will fill your pillbox once a week. I will come visit you once a day. I'm fine. Those are my boundaries. But when this starts to happen, when I can't go to my son's soccer game because I have to be there every night to make sure you eat dinner, that's when my boundaries are reached. So when I say listening to support system, I'm also helping at, because I've seen so many times with older adults who are just angry and bitter and not going into this chapter of their life, well, I guess would be the right word, or just in denial and expecting their children to do everything and not think about what their what their children's lives are, probably professionals, raising children, whatever. Um, so I help families really put those boundaries up that when this happens, mom, I have to call an extra support. When this situation happens. But on the other side too, like you said, is making sure the adult child is also listening to mom when mom is saying, here's what I want. But sometimes those plans have to be changed. You know, sometimes staying home isn't working anymore. And so it is allowing the caregiver to be able to make changes with the consent of the aging person. But of course, you know, all those other things you mentioned can happen. I mean, they can. I think family dynamics are very interesting. Um, And, you you know, like I said, those would be the families where I think an additional support would need to come in from a 
counseling or just, or once again, that adult or that parent, that aging adult can make decisions with who they want to be able to make decisions for them. They don't have to choose the abusive, you know, uh, adult in their life that it would naturally be the support system that doesn't have to be that way. They can choose somebody else or have a care manager come in who actually oversees everything. Well, I'll expand um, so on your those choices. I'll expand on your communication piece a bit there too. In my own particular case, my mother, I lived three hours away from my mother. My brother lived 10 minutes away, but as the only daughter, she would phone me and say, this has happened and I need help. And so fortunately I was in a management position. I'd phone to work and say, going home to mother. <laughs> but of course, <laughs> if, if my brother found out I was there, like after the three hour drive, he'd say, why didn't she call me? And you know, like, who knows, you know, and I, I'd say, like, I, I don't know, you know, like, but, you know, if she's calling me for help, I'm going to come, because I would all often say, Mom, phone your son, because he's 10 minutes away. Don't yeah. you tell the boys about this. <laughs> so it's, yeah. So that's, yeah. And that's, and what I would say on that is, you know, but what, what was the reason she didn't want to tell them? You know, there was something else going on there. Was there ever an option for her to move closer to you? You know, so that's what I would look at that family situation because that's uprooting your life too, you know? Well, I think though, you know, like in my particular case, I'm not going to stay on, on my case, but, you know, my dad could be pretty hard nosed. So mm -hmm. I think she was inflicting that relationship on, especially the, the close yeah. brother, because he, he always came over, he took care of all her yard work, he would come at the drop of a hat, you know, so he was right. very kind and good to her and with her. But yeah. as the only daughter, I would get the calls for the, the big things. Yeah. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah. Now, that Allison, a lot, yeah, a lot of what we've talked about thus far has assumed the adults are complementous. What do you think when dementia is part of the equation? So that's when we talked about when should be the time to think about this. It definitely is early, you know, I would say early retirement when hopefully, you know, if dementia, if dementia is going to happen, maybe it's pre that, that definitely adds a whole dynamic, you know, of the situation and what to do, but you can still identify that support system way before you need them. So hopefully if you've done and asked yourself these questions, if dementia becomes part of your story, you've already really talked about a lot of the big things, you know, that you would like your you know, support system to know. So as they have to come in and make decisions, they have, you can, it, it gives a little bit of peace that there has been a blessing to these decisions. You know, um, mom always said she wanted to stay home as long as she could. Okay. Well, I'm going to do that within reason until the identified boundaries that I have put in place are met. And then we, you know, make decisions. Well, she said that, you know, these communities would be acceptable, you know? And so that's part of that planning is, also thinking about that, what if dementia does occur. But I also think this planning is a way to have some self-awareness. And a lot of people with dementia have symptoms way before they're incapacitated. They know they're struggling. They're not saying anything to anyone. The family is noticing some issues. They're not saying anything because they don't want to upset mom. 
So the goal of what I do is we've got to get over that stigma. You know, if you're starting to feel like you're struggling with decision-making memory, or if an adult daughter is all of a sudden having concerns, she should be able to go to mom and say, mom, I really think we need to go to the doctor. Let's just go get this checked out. And mom should have, be able to say and have enough self-awareness to say, you know what? You're right. I'm also noticing some issues. And so that's so many people, there's so many signs of dementia before that it happens. And by the time you get to a place where you can't make decisions, it is years of mild cognitive impairment. Um, it is years of little issues coming up. So this plan should still is still relevant even for those that do have dementia. Um, I have a client right now. She has just early stages of dementia. She is very self-aware. She's wonderful. And her family is wonderful. And they stepped right in, got her diagnosed. And she knows if I'm going to be successful in this next chapter through this disease, I've got to make decisions now. So we are in the process of helping find a wonderful independent living community because she's still able to be independent, but she'll be in a community that has all levels of care. So as things happen, but she'll be able to get to know the community. She'll feel comfortable in the community. So, and you never know how long that progression is going to be. So while that progression is happening, she has already established herself in her new environment and she can just then be more at peace and her children can be at peace that she's safe and that all those things that have made them be concerned about her because she was living on her own are kind of taken out of the picture. She will actually probably have less issues with dementia, progress even slower and maintain her independence longer because she is going to be an appropriate level of care for what she's going through. Whereas at home, it's unmanageable anymore because she can't drive. She's forgetting to cook and no one's making her eat. So you think about all of those little things and then you create an environment that supports that. She'll probably be fine for many years, whereas home, she'd probably decline faster. Yeah. Two thoughts come to mind. And, and one that I've lived a number of times is trying to explain that I know you're trying to do the best you can for this parent, but dementia is, is moving in fairly quickly. You need to get them placed while they they can still have the mental capacity to adapt to those living new, new living um, places, whereas you know wait until it's they're so far gone that they never settle because everything is strange every day. Everybody's dementia is different. Mm -hmm. um, if staying home is really important for that person and for that family, that is okay if you can call in services and then if a community because. Sometimes with memory care, people find themselves in between assisted living and memory care. Yeah. So sometimes moving in too soon to memory care is also not the best because, you know, you want people surrounded by people that will bring out the independence, you know, or they'll be more able to notice people with more of the pronounced memory issues. So it's definitely a fine dance you play. And that's why really talking about it and having a plan and being open and honest as a family is really important. One of my major frustrations, I must admit, is 
what you mentioned at the very beginning is is why do they not build sites with you know assisted living like just minimal assistance but then there's another wing that is higher care level there is a memory care you know section so so a lot of the living area the common living area is is familiar um but they are supported right from the get-go and i just they should be be forced to build those ones it's one of my (laughs) soapboxes (laughs) and you know the industry is changing you're going to see a lot more adult daycare options coming in how how different companies are building senior living communities has been changing. So there is a a wave of, especially with this, the boomer generation kind of entering into the younger boomer generation entering into this, their expectations are different and companies are trying to meet with those expectations. So there are some changes. Now, two subjects that we've sort of danced around a little bit in our conversation, there's ageism and elder abuse. Do you Mm -hmm. talk to those points? So ageism for sure is what I really talk to in regards to why it's important to have a plan, Um, making yourself vulnerable because you've talked about nothing and done nothing and been resistant to anybody telling you anything um, is not helping you seem independent and capable. (laughs) It, you know, frustrates people and they have to, eventually they'll have to come in and save you. Elder abuse for sure is an issue. It is not one of my, you know, specialties Um, running senior living communities. Of course, it was a big topic and something I was very much making sure that we treated every resident with dignity, respect. That was a big um, proponent of my, uh, a big piece of my trainings when I was a director with associates Um, and identifying burnout. I think a lot of elder abuse can occur because Caregiving is very challenging and it is hard and it can really burn you out. And especially if you're a family caregiver where you don't have the choice to take a break can. So really being aware of your emotions, what's going on with you and the stress. But that's why knowing options, knowing what resources are out there is really important for family caregivers. So they can get the breaks that they need. They can also know when they need a little more support and get it. Um, and so that, you know, the, that's what I have to say about those two topics. Yeah. And I think too, even keeping in touch with some sort of a geriatric doctor, yeah. what came to mind as you were saying that was when I was, I had moved to take care of my mother. I bought a big house. She was had comfortable rooms, etc. But she, her personality changed, and she, with her dementia, became nasty. She was, mm-hmm. yeah, just completely a different person. Yeah. Um, and when I went in one time to, with her to visit the doctor, the doctor said, "Come into my office for a minute." And he closed the door, and we sat down. He said, "I'm going to ask you a question that you may not like." And I said, "Well, no, that's fine." And he said, "Is your mother safe with you?" And I said absolutely yes she is i said because i have a brother across town and there has been a couple of occasions where i've just removed myself from the whole situation i've phoned him up and said come over here now because i need yeah. to go for a walk and you know so so the doctor was well aware because he was a geriatric specialist on you know the, the, the right questions to ask and he apologized later and i said no i'm even more impressed with you now that you know like right i'm glad you asked it <laughs> yeah exactly yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. so but um, go ahead. 
I was going to say that is when we're looking at that planning, one of the pieces of planning is who is your medical support system? You know, it's not just your eight, you know, your emotional and physical, it's getting a geriatric, you know, um, doctor in there is really important. Um, really somebody who specializes in issues of aging people is really, really important. Yeah. And just to expand a little bit on that, that personality change, that needs to be part of the, the whole planning and discussion part too, because in my case, my mother went totally nasty. Um, mm-hmm. I remember a woman who was in care, residential care, and oh my goodness, she was funny. She was lovely. She was just amazing. And as I got to know her daughter, I finally said to her one day, like, oh my God, I can only imagine what your, you know, your life has been like with a mother like that. And she looked at me and she got really serious and she said, no. This dementia is such a gift to me and my father because she was a nasty woman. She was, you know, a mean mother. She's been a hard-nosed wife. But now with her dementia, she is somebody that she's going to end her life with us really enjoying our time with her and wanting to spend time with her. So, you know, the whole personality change that comes with dementia is, is another point of absolutely I, and i've seen both your situation and and i'm glad the daughter took it in such a positive way because i've seen adult children actually i think it comes from a jealousy that all these people are seeing this lovely woman and they never saw it hmm. uh, until dementia so it, i'm glad she had a positive outlook on that because that is a nice way to look at it for sure because yeah. it, you know it it does the personality changes are real <laughs> <laughs> never happens to us of course (laughs) (laughs) no we're all gonna not age you know we're just (laughs) no I just meant you and I we're we're perfect so (laughs) (laughs) okay I had a 20 plus year career in elder care I still work one-on-one supporting private clients in their home this is a huge subject is there anything we haven't talked about that you want listeners to think about you know whether they're the elder or the support for an elder The biggest thing I want people to take from these talks is the idea of just talking. (laughs) We, you know, really starting those conversations. Um, I think it's also important to analyze how, how do you view personally aging? You know, what have you, what has your experiences been looking at aging people? How did your grandmother age? That's going to affect the way you look at aging. So just Really making aging not such a taboo topic is really important to me and making sure that as a family unit, we are having good conversations, productive conversations that make everyone feel comfortable and everyone can share their concerns um, and, you know, really just keeping families together. Because I've seen a lot of times in aging loved one, families can really struggle. And a lot of times after that aging person maybe passes away, the adult children, because of their experiences through it, have really suffered. Their their relationships have really suffered. And that, you know, is something that I find tragic. And so I think the biggest thing is just talking about it and putting some sort of plan in place. But I think we've covered it all. (laughs) (laughs) Good. Well, I'll suggest also that, you know, so many of the elderly people, we're talking late 80s, 90s, um, that I talk to, they just look at me and they say like, Agnes, I never expected to live this long. You know, so it it really is new territory for, for everybody, for them too. 
Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. You offer services. Can you tell us about those? Please? Yes, I do. So openly aging, I am an aging advisor. So I work with families. Um, I have what I call an aging assessment. So I, you know, go in and kind of assess your full situation. I can do it remotely. You know, I have conversations with this identified support system with the aging person and really just look at what's going well, what do we need to look for in the future and maybe think about plans and what are some resources in the current moment that we could be pulling in just to have support. I'm a big proponent on getting, you know, physical therapy in for an aging person as soon (laughs) as possible. So that's just an example of a resource that's covered by most insurances that most people don't even think to, you know, have, but it'll help with safety and security. So yeah. And just being there to help maybe the adult children who are struggling with how to manage um, and counseling them and giving them some basic bullet points or step-by-step guide on how to start having this conversation with mom or dad and how to start kind of figuring out what the finances are. How do I, how do I start that conversation with mom and dad to even get them to talk to me um, about it and not, you know, putting them, having them, you know, clam up or say, Oh, uh, don't worry about it. We're good. You know? Um, So please reach out openlyaging.com. I'd love to help with any, situation, just give guidance and help people put plans in place and strategize for the future. You just saved me my next question. Where do we find you on the World Wide Web? There you go. Yes. <laughs> Openlyaging.com. Mm-hmm. That's great. And I and I looking at your logo with the elephant, it's just like, oh my goodness, that is just so real. <laughs> and you're on social, is that correct? Yes, of course. Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn. Yep. Okay. That's great. Thank you. Website link will be in the podcast show notes and all the links are part of your bio on the website. Listeners, if you have thoughts on today's show, please talk to us. Leave comments where you're listening or if you're listening at the Boomer Woman's podcast at boomwithabang.com, scroll to the bottom of the page and talk to us there. Leave stars and reviews where you can. They help us grow. Please and thank you. For early access of upcoming shows, there's a sign up under this conversation at Boom with a Bang. Now, share this episode with anyone who is either needing help as they age or is the help to an elder. As boomers, I'm just thinking about this, as boomers, we're often in one of those situations. But actually, Allison, there's a topic we didn't touch on. Um, a support person who is now facing their own challenges, but are also the advocate for an elderly parent. What are your thoughts? That's when those boundaries really need to be talked about, you know, if what, but they don't even need to be when you're, you know, needing help. What if you're having grandkids, you know, and you want to be able to travel and all of a sudden you've been mom's primary caregiver and now you want to travel or whatever life has changed a little bit for you or your health, something's going on too. But that's why it's important to say really identifying boundaries every time life situations change and then, you know, being able to pull in those resources to be able to support both sides of the coin. But it's talking about boundaries. People don't want to talk about it. But Communication. <laughs> it's okay to talk about boundaries. <laughs> Communication and boundaries. That's a mm-hmm. thought-provoking way to end. Yeah. <laughs> Allison O'Shea, thank you so much for being my guest today. 
Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Have a great rest of the week. Thank you.